Five scores! Rick Five. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome to everyone, episode 68 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, before you tell us how you're doing, I got to ask you a question here, my man. Are you getting any royalties for the use of your name on this hot series document called Squid Game? <laughs> when I saw that, yeah. I thought, I, I thought yeah, it's you know what? I, w- I wish, Mike. I wish. I really do wish I was, but I'm not. I never. Uh, it's funny when I first saw it, uh, looked at, uh, put it on, and there it was, a Squid Game. I went. And then my son said, you got to watch it. He said, it's really good. I said, yeah, I don't know. I read the thing about what it's about. He said, yeah, but he said, once you get by the first episode, it gets really good, really kind of neat. And I went, yeah, okay, whatever. So <laughs> I'll probably watch it at some point. <laughs> well, that Ryan told me the same thing. This is Justin told you. He said, Dad, you got to watch this thing. This thing is actually, once you get by the first series, it's not too bad. Because I think, come on, I can't yeah. watch this thing. What is this? Yeah, I know. I, I just said, what the heck? But no, if I was getting royalties, boy, I'll tell you, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> yes, exactly, because that's a very, very highly rated show. Well, speaking of highly rated shows, yeah. I think we should have a highly rated show today with our guest today. Good guy. Uh, you played with him. He was drafted by the Toronto Toros in 1974, the Montreal Canadiens 75. Enjoyed a 10-year career, including, as they had played me through with the Birmingham Bulls. He's got lots of great stories. He was a great Peterborough Jr. Uh, please welcome this good Melton Lee fan show, Jim Turkowitz. Jimmy, how we doing? Everything's great, Mike. Can't complain about a thing. Life's good uh, here in Brantford, Ontario. <laughs> hey, Squid, how are you, pal? I'm good, Turk. How are you, bud? I, I'm doing great. Hey, matter of fact, I watched the first episode of Squid Game today, and I was looking for the uh, your name in the credits, but I didn't see it. So <laughs> I just I just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you know, I, I only wish. Yeah. Now, Jimmy, we, the last we saw of you was at the Nationals Toros Bulls reunion a few years ago. I, I we still hear from players. I mean, that that must have been a pretty exciting thing for you guys all to get together because some of you guys probably haven't seen each other since you last played. That's true enough, Mike. Uh, like I said, when you uh, uh, put that thing together for us, it was you know I couldn't get there fast enough. I, like a lot of the guys that we played with in Birmingham and Toronto, uh, great bunch of guys, and like you said, I hadn't seen a bunch of these guys in forever, so getting back together, seeing Mahovlich and, you know, Henderson, uh, you know, Gavin Kirk and Peter Marin, those types of guys. It was just a really good experience and uh, and glad you posted that at your house. It was wonderful. Well, I had a lot of help with guys like Paul Patskow and uh, Bill Williams and a bunch of guys who did all the networking and find all the guys. We just opened the door and it, it turned out pretty good with the Bassett family there and the Craig Eaton family. I remember saying to somebody, I thought, Boy, growing up in Scarborough, Ontario, I didn't think I'd ever be hosting a party in my life where the Craigs and the uh, Eatons would be at our place in the Bassets. Well, you're so, a big shot, Mike. You know, the <laughs> ultimate Leaf fans. Hey, yeah, Jimmy, hey, everybody worked comes. I worked out Squid, what do you think? And we even had Squid there that day. So I know. It worked out pretty good. I know. I know. Well, you know what? It's always great to go back and, and, and revisit years later with people, with guys you played with, or whether it was in junior, whether it was in – you know, professional, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, I, the, the thing is, is that, you know, someone asked me one time, they said, 
like, how many guys did you play with that you hated? And I said, well, first of all, hate's a very strong word, which I would never use. But I said, I can count on one hand how many guys I maybe had differences with or, or didn't totally get along with 100%. But other than that, all the guys were fantastic that I played with. They were just great people. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Ricky. It was just, uh, yeah. I, you know, when you're playing in, in, in professional heart, uh, sports, and even if you're playing in the amateur ranks, the guys, you're a brotherhood mm -hmm. and you're a family. And so yeah. you learn to get along and you're right. You're going to have your differences, no question. But in the long run, mm -hmm. great bunch of guys. You spend a lot of time together and uh, it's just a great experience, both in the amateur and professional ranks. You're right. Absolutely. Now, so yeah. what are you doing with your time these days and how are you getting through all this craziness in the world? Well, living here in Brantford, Ontario, uh, my wife and I, uh, we've got three kids. Uh, we got five granddaughters, so they're keeping us busy. Um, <laughs> we spent some time in, in Florida. We, we have a condo down in, in Florida, so we uh, went to Florida and spent four or five months down there last year doing exactly the same thing we're doing here, Mike. Uh, we uh, stayed by ourselves. We wore our masks when we went any place, played golf, came back to the condo, stayed there, and much like we're doing here. You know, when we go to the grocery store, we wear the mask, you know, go out for dinner, some of that, wear the mask, come home, play golf. So kind of that kind of stuff, like everybody else is doing. You're just you're being careful uh, during these times. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're spending time between here and Florida. That's what we're doing. Five granddaughters? Five granddaughters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my daughter oh. has three and my son has two. So... Well, I, I have a two-year, two-month-old grandson. Oh, congrats. Our first. And uh, we had him for three days, and he wore the hell out of me. I got to tell you, I was sore, and I was exhausted at the end of those three days. Yeah. And my wife goes there every Tuesday and Thursday to their place in Burlington to look after him for the whole day. And she comes home, and she's absolutely, you know, exhausted i know and i'm thinking to myself well how is that possible like yeah. you know you just went and looked after him well now i know how why because when exactly. i spent three days with them that happened to me it's so true <laughs> well well we want we'll watch our granddaughters like three one time and then two the next time and when we leave them after the day or two we go how did we ever raise three kids of our own <laughs> you are you're, right. you're exhausted after three days but uh hey wouldn't change the, wouldn't change a thing they melt my heart no so, yeah i wouldn't either i got a five-year-old i had her for a week in florida with my daughter and her uh, husband and uh boy oh boy i mean i was at the end of it, i was thinking oh my goodness like i did old grandpa needs a week to rest <laughs> yeah. that's true that's so true <laughs> so let, let's test your memory uh, turk and going back like speak to the early years of playing and how you ended up in peterborough uh okay um as a 14 year old uh i was playing junior b in uh paris ontario they had a junior b team yeah so i turned 15 in in uh in, in april of that year and paul goulet who was a, a scout with the uh, peterborough peets was from Brantford, which is just outside of paris and uh saw me and uh so the peets drafted me as an underage to go to peterborough when i uh, turned 16 and so I spent three years in Peterborough. Actually, I should have spent four, but I spent three years. And then, uh, like I said, great experience. You know, Roger Nielsen was just uh, tremendous. Uh, uh, funny story, though, uh, my first game in Peterborough. So I'm an underage. My parents drive from Waterford to Peterborough. And at that time, they only had two-lane two highway going up to Peterborough, like one, one this way, one that way. 
And uh, so it was like a three, three and a half hour drive for them in the wintertime. So they get up there. We're playing then. I think we're playing Niagara Falls at the time. Jimmy Schoenfeld was on the team. And we're playing Niagara Falls. And I'm sitting on a bench. First period goes by. I don't get a shift. Second period goes by. I don't get a shift. Third period, I finally, Roger, go on out there, Turk. So I'm out there, lined up at the uh, blue line for face-off. Before the puck is dropped, tap on my shoulder, Turk, come on off. What the heck? So I never never played a shift. <laughs> never played a shift by my my first game in Peterborough. So the end of the end of the uh, game, going to get changed, get showered up. My mom and dad are waiting. I said, "Be right back. Hold on." I knock on Roger's door, go in there. I said, "Rog, I'm out of here. I'm leaving." He goes, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I didn't come here to sit on a bench. I come here to play hockey. If I, I if I'm not good enough to play on the team, I'm out of here." Turk, settle down. Everything will be okay. It's our home opener. One of these, all this. But honest to God, the first game I ever played in Peterborough, never got a shift. So I thought, oh, this is good. Nice place to get drafted to where you can't even get on the ice. <laughs> uh, but anyways, things worked out well. Roger was the best thing that ever happened to me uh, as a junior. He kept things on a tight ship. Uh, you went to school or you had a job as well as playing hockey. You couldn't just sit at home and do nothing. So he made sure that you were either at school or you had a job if you weren't uh, in school. And uh, like I said, the discipline he uh, gave us as, uh, as young men, as hockey players, was the best experience ever for, uh, for a young man going to play junior hockey. Yeah, well, I think one great. of the other things about that, about playing in Peterborough too, Jimmy, I think you'll probably agree, is that, I mean, it is one of the most iconic junior franchises in Canada. But it's, I think it's also the people and the surroundings in the town because guys go and play there and, and they go back and retire there. 100%. What is it about the town and about the people that just embrace the team so much? Yeah, you know what? Uh, as far as I was concerned, like the billet that I had was a great a lady named Mrs. Monaghan. Uh, unfortunately, she's passed now, but uh, was a great uh, lady. She had her daughter and uh, her granddaughter lived at the house as well. And so Billy Evil and I uh, lived at her house. She treated like one of our own. And in the community, anytime you went someplace, people are always welcoming and hi this and hi that. At school, they were accommodating. The, the kids there didn't think that you were anything special. You were just a hockey player in town, treated you as one of their own locals and all this. So everybody, everybody made you feel like a family. Mm -hmm. and, and so probably that's why it's so accommodating and it made you feel so relaxed. And so uh, it, they made it so inviting for you that you, you wanted to keep going back. And, and I did. I'd go back every summer for two or three years after I finished playing junior there see Mrs. Monaghan, some of the other billets and some of the other guys that stuck around. And uh, it was, it was just a great first class organization, no question, but the city itself was first class in and of itself too. Squid, how was Sherbrooke for you? Sherbrooke was pretty good. It was, uh, and they had a big bus accident, I think a year or two before I got there and one or two of the players passed away on because of that bus accident. So we weren't allowed to drive cars. So what they did was they bought this building, which was an old priest residence that was across the street, right across the street from the arena. And they turned it into all these rooms with bunk beds and you had your own sink and everything and closet in your room. So two guys would room in, in each room. And we had to, <laughs> it was it's funny because you, you walk in the front door and it's street level, but in the back, it was kind of like it, it went down. And uh, so, there was a back deck on, on the main floor. It was probably about a 12 or 14 foot drop. And, uh, but 
we found a way to get down up and down the, the posts and what if we were going out after curfew or something. But I didn't realize we had this little guy named Henry Crush's hair, and he used to come and check curfew, and then he would lock all the doors from the outside. So you couldn't open them from the inside. And I started thinking about that probably about 10 years ago. We were I was with someone, we were talking about it, and I said, what the hell would we do if there was a fire? Like, we wouldn't be able to get out of the goddamn building. And then I thought, oh, no, we know how to get out of the building. So we, we would have been okay. <laughs> well, Jim, hey, I'll turn you go along. 1972-73, we got to talk about this year. So let me set this one up. I think you know I'm going to go with this one. I do. You guys were loaded. Yeah. Dougie Gibson, Bob Neely, Doug Jarvis, yourself, Bob Ganey, Jimmy Jones. But the Marlies, they were even more loaded with, you know, Dylan, Golda, Mark Howe, Bruce Boudreaux, Mike Palmateer and goal, and so on and so forth. Game seven, I was at the game actually at that game, cheering my buddy Wayne Dylan on. We were in, we grew up together. The gardens was packed. Game six in Peterborough set an attendance record. So I'm really setting this up for you. You know, you game seven. I think were not actually, really, Mike unwittingly played a big role in that game. Now we've had Marley's on here who explained it from their perspective. Now we're going to give the guy who is the main part of the whole equation <laughs> his chance to clarify what actually happened. So maybe you want to tell us the story. Okay. Now, are you sure it was a game seven or was it a game six? Oh, sorry. Was that game? Uh, yeah, I think, I think game... it was a game six because we, if we win that game, we go back to Peterborough. Because I, I game think this... eight because it was total, it was game seven because it was total points. Oh, okay. That's why they only needed. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So they only need tight. So yeah. here's the here's the situation. The date is May the fifth. Is it 1972 or 73? 73. 73. Okay. My sister's wedding. Okay. <laughs> so I'm at my sister's wedding. First of all, right? I got the tuxedo on, so uh, I, I I gotta leave the the wedding to go play hockey. So my best friend, Bernie Suedo, and I, we drive to the uh, gardens. So I get to the gardens, and I go to the front door, and I said, uh, the guy goes, yeah, can I help you? I goes, yeah, I'm playing hockey here tonight. He goes, yeah, sure, yeah. I got my tuxedo on, right? He goes, no, you're not. I go, yeah, seriously. I just said, I'm playing with the Pete's. We're, we're playing the Marley's tonight. And he goes, I got to check. So he goes and checks. Sure enough, comes back and says, okay, go on in. So I go in. So anyways, we play the game. There's a minute and six seconds left in the game, Okay. There's a scramble in front of the net. Mike uh, Kazmatis is our goalie. Yeah. And the puck's laying in the crease. And I'm yelling at Mike Kazmatis to get the puck, right? The, the place is going nuts, right? Because there's 16,000 plus so people in the place, right? It's, it's jam-packed. Yep. That's all I remember. And you guys are winning, <laughs> by the way. Remember. We're, we're winning. We're winning 5-4 at the time. And did I put my hand on it and close it? I was in the process. I wanted to take it and shoot it away, but I was trying to get Kazmatis to take it away from me. Never did. Jim Lever makes the call. Paul and Bordelow takes the penalty shot. Game over. Yeah. yeah. And all they needed was a tie to win. They only needed a tie. So they tie it with a minute and six seconds left in the game. And, and that's kind of what happened. So I'm blaming nobody, obviously, no. probably myself for the, for the thing, but it was, I was trying to get Cassie to, because I didn't want to leave the puck there sitting alone in the, in the crease because yeah, then somebody just comes in and taps it in this game over anyways, right? So I'm trying to get Cassie attention to, to grab a hold of the puck and Cassie, I'm not sure what he was doing or whatever, but for some reason it didn't happen. 
I got nailed for the uh, penalty shot and, uh, and that's the end of the series. Well, the funny part about it is, I mean, it's not funny to you, but I mean, it's, there was a scramble around the net. So as the fans sitting there, nobody knew really what was going on until exactly. you see the referee pointing at center ice. And yeah. what, what the hell yeah. is that for? Yeah. yeah. It, like, was it a questionable call? He probably he could have. Honestly, he could have let it go. Probably shouldn't have let it go. So did Jim Lever make the, the right call? That's something Jim Lever uh did and they, yeah, I respect them for that. That's that's a tough call in the game, uh, game seven, that important to make that type of call. So, uh, um, you know what, it happened, and unfortunately, we lost. Marley's ended up going to the Memorial Cup, win the Memorial Cup that year, and uh, I went oh, back oh. to the wedding. Well, I was gonna say now, Roger Nielsen, <laughs> Roger Nielsen, I'm sure you're aware of this quote, is only he can. His quote was, We didn't lose to the Marley's, but to the referee. Well. So he stuck. So now, more on a more serious side, what did yep. the players say? You must have been devastated, obviously. What did the oh. players say to you after the game? You know what? Obviously, disappointment in the dressing room, no question about it. But the majority of the guys, Turk, that happens, you know. And and I've seen some of the guys. Colin Campbell, actually, uh, I saw him years ago. Uh, I was actually looking for a job uh, with Paul Goulet, the guy that drafted me to the Pete's. He was leaving uh, Central Scouting, and I was thinking about getting into scouting. And yep. so I went in to meet uh, Gus Vidalo up in uh, uh, the NHL offices. And uh, as I'm coming out, Coley's there. And Coley says, Turk, we are just talking about you today. I go, okay, I know what you're talking about. So everybody, when they start, when they're talking to a Marley or somebody from Toronto, Turk, we are just talking about you today. I know what they're talking about. So, But you know what? Most of the guys, most of the guys who... Have, I'm going to say forgive. It's it's one of those things that happens spur of the moment. You know, you know, games. Hockey's a game of reaction. That was a reaction. Of Unfortunately, it, it costs us. Uh, you know, yeah. a chance at a Memorial Cup. So, well, now what did what about Roger? What was his comments to you? He must have spoke to you. Yeah, Roger. You know what? Roger was his, his true self. He supported you. You know what? Turkey did what you have to do. And unfortunately, you know, the call was made. Could have went the other way. It didn't that kind of stuff. And yeah, he was, he was a terrific guy for stuff like that. He was never going to uh, right. belittle you or anything like that. He was always, he always had your back. So. Yeah. I, I, I've met Roger a few times and, and he's a wonderful individual. Uh, in fact, he, he came down to a, a, a high school tournament in Cape Breton where I was playing because uh, I was playing junior A in Charlottetown at the time. And they picked, some of the guys that were on the junior A team to represent our high school in this national high school tournament. And we played uh, Upper Canada College in the finals. We won. I got MVP at the tournament. And Roger was there. And he came to me and he said, uh, yeah, I said, we, we might draft you, uh, you know, in the first round or the second round. And I said, oh, really? I said, oh, that, that's kind of cool. You know, I never really thought much of it. And then ended up getting drafted by the Marlies in like the third or fourth round and the peach never drafted me. So I ended up going to Sherbrooke because I was a fourth overall pick by them. Wow. Figured I had a better chance to play in Sherbrooke than I did with the Marlies and they had just come off a Memorial cup. And I thought, I think I made the right choice. No kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> but Roger, Roger was a great guy. And I went, I remember going, I, I, I remember, I don't know how many years in a row I went and worked at his hockey school. And I mean, he was around, he never, you know, a lot of guys have hockey schools, but they don't show up. Roger oh, was a, there 
all all day long, all yeah, day long. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, but, but, but yeah, to, to just take it one step further. What made what what made Rogers such a special coach? I mean, a lot of guys are great with players. A lot of guys are great communicators. Give us a little listeners' little insight as to what made him pick, or did you ever figure it out, or just go along with it? Well, uh, think about this. Most guys are. Uh, I'm going to say today, most coaches today are worried about themselves, keeping their jobs and all this. Yep. And, and so there's, there's not yep. much skill development. They're taking the skill that they've given that they've been given and try to work it into a team system. Roger, he would have us out there. He would bring out two by fours, you know, eight foot long, two by fours, 10 foot long, two by fours and throw passes over them. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. He would have uh, a student drills, um, uh, like penalty shot drills, like, but you have to like open net drills where you have to fire the puck from center ice and try to hit the open net and stuff like that. So, um, different, uh, drills were skilled, um, defined. So it wasn't just all team work as, as most of the coaches do today. He was, he was really interested in developing you as an individual hockey player as mm-hmm. well. Yep. And so, you know, for, like I said, for me, um, Playing hockey in, in Peterborough, Peterborough was more of a defensive style uh, system. And so it worked perfectly for me. Uh, although we had some good goal scorer, Dougie Jarvis, a good goal scorer, obviously, and, and we had several others. But uh, uh, like I said, he, he worked on our skill development uh, as well as team play. And so, like I said, every guy that went in there had the opportunity to get better. And that, that's all you want as, as a kid going to play junior hockey. All you want to do is is be better by the end of your three or four year stint with uh, with the team, and he uh, he gave you every opportunity to do that. I think probably the big uh, the biggest thing I think I would take away from Roger from what I you know heard from players that played for him and so on and in junior was he was kind of like a father to everybody too. He you know if there was anything wrong, Roger was there. You could go in, you could talk to him. There was never. And he, he didn't look at you differently or anything like that. He treated everybody with respect and and especially the young kids who needed that guidance. He was there to give it. Absolutely. No question. Well, he used to say to us, we used to go up to Sudbury and, and Sault Ste. Marie on road trips and get home Sunday night at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. And he'd say, fellas, I'm checking the schools to make sure you guys are at school in the morning. I'm not, you're not sleeping in. Mm-hmm. He was a high school teacher. So he said, if I can get up and go to school in the morning, you can get up and go to school in the morning. So he, he made us accountable for, uh, yeah. for our actions. And it was, it was pretty good. The other thing that was good, Mike, yeah. the year that we went to the world juniors. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably talk about this later, but he had us out running outside after practice. We do our hour and a half practice. And then we put on our uh, sweatpants and in the middle of winter in Peterborough, We'd go for five mile runs three times a week. He he was ahead of his, his time as far as you know getting guys in shape and getting guys prepared. And then we'd watch game films like everybody calls them Captain Video. Well, he was doing that. He had game films uh, back on you know back in the seventies with teams breakouts or penalty kills, and so he had systems in place to defend against them. And so you know he shared that with us. Obviously, that made us better uh, better hockey players. And and like I said, he was just innovative in his style and, and what he wanted you to do and, and be as a hockey player. Well, it's going to, well, there you go. Why don't you pick up on that Turk? Because you guys were a couple of years removed from the summit series in 72. You go and represent Canada at the world juniors as a club team playing against all-star teams. Maybe talk about that whole experience and how you guys found out you were going and representing Canada. Yeah. Roger came in uh, one time and said, uh, uh, we've, we've got the opportunity and we're going to take it. We're going to go to Russia, play in the, in the, in a world junior tournament. And we're playing against 
uh, team from the United States, team from Russia, uh, Czechoslovakia, Sweden, and Finland. So there's only six teams in this, uh, in this round robin series, but it gave us the opportunity as a club team to prepare and go over and see Europe uh, firsthand. Well, this was back in 1974. And so, you know, like I said, Roger had us, you know, doing our practices, you know, we practice every day after school, three times a week, we're out five mile runs and, and Roger would drive his car to make sure that we weren't cutting fields or anything like this, because there was plenty of opportunities to go from one field across the field and cut off two miles of that run. Well, Roger would be out in his car driving around the, the, uh, the circuit to make sure that we, uh, we did our five miles. And so uh, he was preparing us for that. Oh and uh, so going over there, back, like I said, back in the 70s, Russia was Russia. We, we fly into Moscow, yeah. and then we're taking a train up to Leningrad, which is St. Petersburg, but Leningrad at the time. And they wouldn't let us go during the day. They didn't want us to see what was going on between Moscow and Leningrad. So they made us go at nighttime. So we spent like eight or 10 hours in the Moscow airport waiting for it to get, uh, or uh, Moscow train stage, waiting for it to get dark before we could uh, take the train up to Leningrad. But once we got to <laughs> Leningrad, we get there and we get to the hotels and everybody's paranoid because they're, they're so afraid. Because first of all, you get into Leningrad, there's army tanks there. There's guys on corners with machine guns. The guys are walking the streets with army fatigues on and you're going, oh my God, if I do anything wrong, they're going to lock me up, throw away the cake, and nobody's going to know where I'm at, right? So we were pretty much on yeah. our best behavior when we're over there just because we didn't know what we could get ourselves into if we did anything wrong. But Roger again, once we get over there, twice a week, five-mile runs, keep it going, boys. You're not uh, slacking off. So we do our runs and all that kind of stuff. And then we get into the tournament. We play uh, – I think we played the uh, U.S. team. We think we beat them. We beat uh, the Czechs. We beat the uh, Swedes. We played Finland. We outshoot them. And I don't know what the numbers were, but I'm going to say 40 to 15. Well, they beat us 3-2. So now we got to play the Russians in the, uh, in the finals. And you got to remember, we're in pretty good shape. We've been working out all the time. We've been doing these uh, five-mile runs three times a week been doing some weight training, uh, bull flex and all that kind of stuff, or it wasn't bull flex. It was some other machine. doesn't matter. But yeah, anyway, so we are in pretty good shape. We go over there. We're playing the Russians at the end of the first period. It's one, nothing. I felt like I had played three games. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And we were in phenomenal shape. So it's one, nothing at the end of the first it's four, nothing at the end of the second and it's nine, nothing at the end of the third. And honest to God, I thought I'd played 50 hockey games in that one game. They were just so much better conditioned than we were. And you know how they cycle the puck and, and do all those yeah. types of things. Well, they cycle the puck and, and we're going up and back and up and back. And like I said, by the end of the game, we were exhausted, but they were, it was a phenomenal experience and uh, uh, something I'll treasure uh, all my life. And, and the thing that was uh, nice about it when they had their uh, opening ceremonies, uh, Doug Jarvis, Paul McIntosh and myself, or it wasn't Paul McIntosh, um, trying to think, maybe Bill Evil and myself, we got an opportunity to be on the ice when they handed out these breads and, and cloths, and, and that was their gift to the team to uh, participate in this tournament. So it was kind of neat to experience the uh, uh, the Russian atmosphere uh, in, the hop, in the hockey venue. Now, you got the chance to play them with the Marlies. I did. I did. 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, that same year, um, yeah, there it is. That same year, uh, um, playing with Peter, well, I had a pretty good year that year, and so yes, Marley's were Marley's were playing the uh, the Russians in an exhibition game, and so I got called up to play uh, uh, with the Marleys. And uh, Mark and Marty Howe were there, and uh, I think John Hughes Napier was there, uh, and a bunch of other like Wayne Dillon, a lot of first class hockey players. And uh, I, that was the night I had a chance to meet Gordy Howe for the first time, so that was kind of cool. But the experience playing against the Russians, again, phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And again, Maple Leaf Gardens, there's no place better to play a hockey game as a kid uh, than Maple Leaf Gardens when you got 16,500 people. So it, it was a great ex, uh, great opportunity. Well, it's nice to have those were you not the, for you. Were, were you not the uh, OHL defenseman of the year that year? I was, yeah. I, uh, yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's funny because I don't know about you, but – I just played the game because I loved it. I never thought I was any good or anything like that. And, and so when I got this, the call, and Roger says, Turk, you're, uh, you're going to win this Max Kaminsky uh, best defenseman in the OHL. And I said, really? Like, I, I was kind of flabbergasted. I, I had no idea that, uh, uh, you know, people thought that I could actually play the game okay. And so it, it was kind of a, a pleasant surprise and uh, quite an honor to, uh, to receive that award. Well, your, your draft. Well, that probably, that probably stemmed. That probably stemmed from your first game that you played when you never got a shift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no doubt. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, your draft year, the, the Toros take you in your, your in '74. So, how did that all come about? And uh, how did you, you did you have dealings with Johnny Bass right off the bat, or how did you find out you were taken and you were going to go there? Yeah, it, um, I had no idea until I, I until I got a call, and um, I think it was Buck Cool at the time that called and said. Uh, you know, we've selected in the first round of the uh, WHA draft, and uh, um, that was quite an honor. And, and you know what? Honestly, as a kid growing up, that's all I ever wanted to do was play uh, pro hockey. And so I had uh, I had an agent, a fellow by the name of Paul O'Neill, who was Pat Hickey's agent at the time. And so he negotiated with uh, Bassett. And I never really got uh, uh, to meet John Bassett until after the fact. But, uh, um, yeah, so we we did some negotiations and uh, he said, you know, they got a pretty good deal for you. And uh, if you're looking to play pro hockey, here's an opportunity because you're a first rounder, you're, you're, you're going to make the team. They're not drafting you to, uh, to not play. And so if, if you're looking at playing, uh, here's your opportunity. And so, uh, you know, I took the opportunity and, and played with the Toronto Toros after that. Yeah. What was that like going into your first, you know, pro camp and giving up your last year junior going into the WHA, your first professional camp, and, uh, you know, get take us through that whole ordeal or, or if it was an ordeal or if it was a great uh, uh, great thing to go through. Yeah, you know what? Um, having had the opportunity to play in that World Junior that time, that year, and then also uh, playing against the Russians of the Marlies, and actually I had one more opportunity to play with the London Knights against the, uh, the Russians that year as well. So I had a chance to play against some – I'm not going to say better players than the OHA, but I guess they were better players than the OHA. And so at that time, and then when I got uh, the award from Max Kaminsky, I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe I can play at the next level. And so when I got drafted by the Torals, I said, you know what, let's take the opportunity and go into camp. Um, you know what? I went there just like I did when I went to Peter. I, I thought, you know what? Nobody's given me anything. So if, if you want to play here, if you want to play pro hockey, you better be ready and you better play the way you can. And so 
they gave me every opportunity to toils. They were, they were great, uh, uh, for me. They, uh, they treated me, uh, like one of their own, even though I was a rookie coming in. Uh, I don't think there was any hard feelings from some of the defensemen that were there knowing that somebody might lose their job because I was coming in, uh, all in all, they were pretty good. Like Pat Hickey was there who I, uh, uh, who I knew Peter Marin, who I'd played, uh, uh, against Louis Nistico mm -hmm. was there, you know, so there were some familiar faces there as well that made it, uh, comforting. And so they weren't all just older hockey players that, uh, had been around, like say in their thirties or, or late twenties, you know, these were guys that, uh, I'd played junior most recently again. And so, uh, we kind of hung around together and did our thing and, you know, were invited out, you know, obviously for lunch and stuff like that with the uh, older guys, but mm -hmm. they made it, they made it real easy. Well, I was going to say to you, so first off, you're looking at all the junior guys, you know, all of a sudden you look over in the corner and there's a guy by the name of Henderson, you know, a couple of years removed from scoring the biggest goal in Canadian history. Then the other side of the room is Frank Mahovlich, you know, who's another iconic figure. And then there's Britt Selby, another one, Calder Trouble, like all these guys you grew up watching and all of a sudden you're sitting around. I mean, it must have been a little bit surreal for you. There's no question. You know what? you As a Leaf fan growing up, you know, Mahovlich was there and then, you know, Paul Henderson's there and you're going holy smokes. And then Britt Selby, who was like, you said, called a winner and you're going, holy, this is pretty cool. This is what it's all about. You know, and, and you do, you look around the room and you, you're going, holy smokes, this is pretty cool. You're, you're sitting across the room from Frank Mahovlich, a future hall of famer guy that just scored the goal against the Russians, Paul Henderson. And you're saying, yeah, this is, this is what it's all about. Scrid, and you got to see yeah, them all well, a couple it, years later. It, yeah. It was very similar when I went to Birmingham. I, I'm sitting in a room with Jim Turkowitz and Peter <laughs> yeah. Marin and <laughs> Gavin Kirk. And <laughs> actually, you know what? It was, it was a great opportunity. And it was Frank for, who and Paul for all who, of right? us young guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> of course we had John Brophy was our coach that year. And, uh, uh, but you know what? It was, it was a great experience. So one thing I do recall uh, coming in and, you know, like, again, like you, I mean, I, I wanted to try and establish myself in the pro game and, you know, show that I can play at that level because you're never really sure whether you can or not yet coming out of junior. But I, I remember going in there and the room where we changed into our, our underwear and everything and hung up our clothes and we're probably about, I don't know, maybe 25 minutes out of going out for a warm-up. And there's Wayne Wood, our, one of our goalies, and two or three other older guys playing backgammon for money and I, in the room where you change. And I'm thinking to myself, like, we got a goddamn hockey game to play. What are you guys doing? Like, but, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, they pack up the game and, and out we go and play the game. Well, Woody never played much, so he was a backup, so he didn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was good. Hey, Brof was a great guy. I love Brof. Yeah, you know Brof was yeah. a, he was a great guy. Uh, here's a good one. Brof and uh, Brof and I hit it off pretty good when when he come to Birmingham, and he'd always after the games he'd say, uh, "Jimmy, come on in the room. I got to talk to you about what happened." So into into this, you know, in his little office, I'd go and we'd talk about the game, what I thought about this and that. Brof, I think we should do this next game or do this next game. Okay, great. So. We're playing one game and we and we get hammered at at home in in Birmingham. And I don't I don't know if you know remember this squid or not, but it used to be they used to have the uh, the trays of Gatorade in the cups, the the uh, paper cups yeah. in the middle of the room. And so you'd grab your Gatorade and you'd you drink it. 
and, and took whatever you want. Well, end of the game, there's a tray of Gatorade in the middle of the room and, and we get blown out by somebody. It doesn't matter who, but Rofe comes stomping in the room and walks right through the Gatorade, right? Now his pants are soaking wet up to his knees. Now you look around the room and every guy's getting their towel and putting it in front of their face because they don't want to start laughing. And Rofe starts giving it to us and all this kind of stuff. So I, so anyways, he does his spiel and he says, Jimmy, come on in the room. I got to talk to you. So I said, bro, if you got to give me a couple of minutes here, I'll be right in. So, okay. So I got to settle down because I was laughing too, because he was right in what he was saying, but it was so funny to see his pants were soaking wet up to his knees from the Gatorade. So a couple of minutes go by, go into his room and open his office and there's smoke all over the place. There's dust all over the place. And I'm going, Holy, I'm trying to get in his room like this. I can't even see him sitting behind his desk. I said, bro, what's up? He goes, ah, the damn bull. Somebody had made him a ceramic bull that must have been two feet by a foot high. Beautiful looking thing. Well, he got so mad, he fired it against He's the wall true. and the thing smashed into a million pieces and just dust all over. I go, bro, come on. What are these, right? John broke. That's, that's how much he, he hated to lose and wanted to win. Oh, yeah. He would do anything. And like I said, he, he took the game to heart and uh, loved the guy to death. But that was my John Brophy story. He was just a hilarious guy. Good guy. Uh, it's funny. I think I don't think a lot of people understand Brophy or didn't understand Brophy. And, and, and I say that in, in that a lot of guys, I believe, especially when he came to the National Hockey League anyway in Toronto, is that he wanted everybody to be goons. Which, you know, was so far from the truth. Yeah, Both yeah. wanted you to give 100% of whatever type of game you played. That's right. And, and, and whatever it was, if you gave 100%, Brof was the first guy to back you up whenever anything 100%. happened. And Absolutely. Uh, I, I love the guy as well. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had a great time yeah. playing for him. And uh, there was a lot more instances that I could bring up about Brof. <laughs> <laughs> that were pretty funny, but but you know what? Well, the, 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 type guy, the type of guy that he was too. Okay, so we finished like I finished in in eighty or eighty two, whatever it was, and then eighty seven. I think they're having that Canada Cup series in Hamilton, and I hadn't seen Brofen probably uh, ten years, maybe twelve years or whatever. Doesn't matter. And I'm down in the uh, Hamilton uh, Arena, Cops Coliseum, watching the game, and uh, Brof's there, and so I go up to him. I said. Hi, John Brophy. Yeah, Jim Turgis. I don't know if you remember me. And it was like an insult to him. He says, what do you mean I don't remember you? I remember you one of these. You know, it's just that's the type of guy he was. So, like, he wouldn't forget you. You know, some guys, yeah, okay, no. whatever. But Brophy is a first-class guy. And like you said, Ricky, uh, yeah. all he wanted from you, you give 100% of whatever you had to give. And, uh, and that's all you can ask. Well, while we're speaking of those type of guys, you guys moved to Birmingham, so we've already stepped up on that. New city, new team, the complexion or character of the team starts to turn to toughness, and that was a couple of years before you arrived, Squid. You know, Jim, you've gone through a couple of years. Already. You see what's going on, and all of a sudden, this craziness all starts. Like, these guys are the Danbury Trashers before the Danbury Trashers were the Danbury Trashers. And I, I saw you're that. You're coming in with guys like... You know, Glenn Sommer takes over and you got Joe Bolillo, uh, Frank Beaton, Steve Durbano, Dave Hansen, and so on. 2,159 penalty minutes. Like, that's just a snick under 27 minutes a game in penalties. Like, Johnny Bassey, you got to give him credit. He did whatever it took to make people come into a building. But that freak show must have been something worth watching. Well, we're playing in Winnipeg one time, Mike. And we have a big brawl on the ice. 
Okay. Dave Hansen's on the ice. And I don't know who his wingers were. Probably one of the Carlson brothers. And I don't know if Durbel was my uh, uh, defense partner at the time or not. But so Hansen pairs up with Bobby Hall. Right. And Bobby Hall doesn't wear a helmet, but he wears a toupee. And so we're on the ice and, and Bobby and, and Dave Hansen are paired up. And Dave Hansen grabs him by the hair and pulls it off and throws it on the ice. Now, I grew up watching Bobby Hall play with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks against my Leafs. Big fan of Bobby Hall's. And I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I'm on the ice. And this is the, there's a brawl. And whoever I'm paired with, we look at each other and we're like, holy, did you just see that? And so I get my stick and I push this toupee to the side of the boards, hoping nobody's going to see it. Meanwhile, he's got no hair. So everybody knows what's happened. But I thought, holy, well, how do you do this to Bobby Hall? That was, that was our team at that time. And I think that same game, we have a bench clearing. We don't have a bench clearing brawl, but in between periods, Durbo and a couple of the other guys on our yeah. team getting a big fight with the Winnipeg guys underneath the stands and all this kind of stuff. And so it was just, it was just a show for shows as far as uh, goofiness that night. And then, so, and, and the other way, we're in Winnipeg. So that night, we're practicing the next day, and we have to spend another night before we fly out to wherever we're going. So the next day, I said to some of the guys, okay, listen, we got to keep a low profile here. So uh, why don't we just go to the Legion? We'll, you know, grab a couple of beers. We'll shoot some pool, play some darts, have something neat. Guys go, perfect. So I called down the Legion. I said, uh, you know, I'm calling from out of town. I said, my dad was a member of the Legion. I'm an associate member because he was a member of the Legion. Just wondering if I can, uh, you know, come down with a couple of my friends, you know, have something to eat, a couple of beers and shoot some pool in that. And the guy goes, uh, what's your name? Uh, Jim Turgwitz, I'm with the, uh, the Birmingham Bulls. Without a word of a lie, you're not going to start a brawl down here, are you? And I, <laughs> I go, no, no, we're just coming down. We won't want to keep a low profile. We're just going to come down and, and uh, you know, take it easy. And he goes, okay, who are you bringing? So I said, okay, well, Mark Napier's coming with me, and, and I think Henderson and Mahavlage and, uh, you know, probably Peter Marin and Gavin Kirk and uh, a couple of the guys. But the first thing out of his mouth when I mentioned who I was, you're not going to start a brawl down here. So the Birmingham Bulls, <laughs> you know, they're made, they made their statement in Winnipeg without a doubt. Well, okay, so you go from yeah. that, and then the, uh, a year or so later, all of a sudden he does the complete reversal and brings in these seven, 18-year-olds the baby bulls to do a complete about face. Like, were you just thinking like, what's going on yeah. here? And what, what was your first impression of all these kids? And you're thinking, man, oh man, like, is this really pro hockey? Well, first of all, uh, my game, my game was not really physical. Okay. I was, I'm going to say I was more of an offensive defense even yeah. though I wasn't, but Durbel was my toughness. Okay. Did I play tough? Sure, I could be hit and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't a goon. I wasn't one when we had how many minutes? 2,700 minutes. 2,100. 2,100. I probably didn't have 50 of those minutes. No, we you had, weren't we, one of those guys. We had enough guys. No. To, to, you, you were about 15th in line if you wanted to get in a fight on our team then. So I wasn't one of those guys. So when we brought in the, the baby bulls, you know what? It was refreshing for me because I thought, okay, here we go. We, we, we're bringing in some guys. And presumably, if they're young guys, they're going to be they're going to be players. These guys are going to know how to play the game, and they're going to make our team better. And so, 
you know, we got, you know, Ricky, we got, uh, you know, Craig Hartsburg, Rob Bramage, Michelle Goulet, Gaston Gingra, Patty Riggins, goalie, uh, Keith Crowder. I think we had Kenny Lins. Was Kenny Linsman at the time there or he had he gone? No. Okay, he left a year before. No, he had left already. Okay. He left. And so we had, then we had Napes and, and Dylan and those guys. Like, we're talking, if, if we could have kept that team Think together for a few years, it would have been a phenomenal hockey team, I'll tell you. It would have been spectacular because all these kids could play. They were really good. And, and Ricky doesn't give himself enough credit. When he came there, he was, you know, trying to make an impression, made an impression right off the bat. The guy could play, was tough. And uh, you know what? For an 18-year-old coming in, it fit the bill quite easily. So, uh, Ricky, you're a, you're a pleasure to have there, I'll tell you. It was awesome. Well, I had a lot of fun, and, and you know, we had we had a great, uh, unbelievable group of guys. I mean, it was it was a real treat to go and play there with with all the guys that we had on that team. Especially, you know, the the nice part was I had a bunch of young guys around me that I could hang out with, and we lived in the same uh, apartment buildings and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but all the guys were fantastic to us, and I, I remember. Uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember his name. Our captain, um, Dale Holgerson. Brent Dale Hughes. Holgerson. Oh, Brent Hughes. Uh, okay. No. Okay, yeah, so he was our captain. Yep. And my brother, my brother comes down to, to Birmingham to visit me, and he's he's seventeen years old. Brent goes, "Don't worry about. It. I'll look after." Him. Well, of course, he takes him up to the press box, and there's a there's a draft machine in in the press box in Birmingham, <laughs> and then they go across the street afterwards. By the time I get there, my 17-year-old brother is like a puddle. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell did you do to him? <laughs> but you know what? It was, but you know what? They, they, they looked after us, and, and it was fantastic. And we had probably one of the best owners in pro sports. No doubt. And, uh, I, and I got to tell you, he did a great thing for all of us young guys. He knew the merger was going to go through, and he knew there was no way they were going to let us into the National Hockey League with all the young guys that we had. Uh, the potential of that team becoming yeah. a, a, an unbelievable team. So he signed us all halfway through the year to four-year contracts. And in, in the, uh, uh, the merger, the NHL were supposed to honor any existing contracts. Well, they didn't honor ours. So we ended up going to court. We had a little bit of, we got a good, pretty decent settlement, not quite as much as our contracts were, but so, you know, you give them a lot of credit and, Absolutely. I always said, it's funny because I've said it a few times, Turk, that when he came down there and with the sweater around the neck and everything, he looked like he was right out of the Playboy Mansion. It was like, <laughs> he had a tan and he, like, it, was just, it was just great. Like to yeah. see him walking around and everything, it was like, like there's our owner, man. Like, he, yeah. like you have to. Turk, talk about how Montreal entered the equation here. They drafted in 75. What was, was yeah. there conversations going on back and forth with them and you? And especially, you must have been no noticing it as time is going on. This WJ was going to struggle unless a real rich white mate came along. It, it, the end was coming soon. Yeah, uh, not, re not really. Here's the, here's the sad thing about that situation, Mike. I'm a diehard Leafs fan. Yep. So I'm, I finished my first year with the Toronto Toros and I'm driving home from somewhere and on the radio, congratulations, Jim Turkwitz, you've been, he was selected by the Montreal Canadians. And I went, you gotta be kidding me, <laughs> right? I'm a Leafs fan getting drafted by the Canadians. And then, so then I get home and uh, the phone rings and it's Sam Pollock and he says, Jimmy, it's Sam Pollock. 
Hi, Mr. Pollock. How are you? He said, just want to welcome you to the Montreal Canadiens. We drafted you. I said, well, thanks very much, Mr. Pollock. Appreciate it. And he says, uh, you know, we'll be in touch when the, when the time comes. I said, okay, fair enough. And I get off the phone and I'm looking, okay. So I'm 19, uh, I'm 20 years old at the time. Canadians just win their third Stanley Cup in a row. They've got Serge <laughs> Savard, Larry Robinson, Guy Lapointe, three Hall of Famers. They've got Bill Nyrop, Don Ory, and Rick Chartra as their six. And I'm going, all right, where do I fit into this equation? And so it, it, it's one of those wrong place at the wrong time. And so yeah. we never really had any discussions. They sent me a contract my uh, second year uh, with, after my second year with the Toros. It was just like a preliminary one that said, here's, we've offered you a contract. If you, if you refuse it, you stay on our, uh, on our list of uh, players. And so we can renegotiate down, down the, uh, down the way. But you know what, at, at that time there was, there was no opportunity for me to fit in the roster. Yeah. And, uh, and, and rightfully so, like those guys were all premier hockey players. Could I have, been as good as Rick Chartra or Don Ory or uh, Bill Nyrup? Maybe. But why would they switch one for another if you're not going to be better? Yeah. And, and you're certainly not going to yeah. be better than Guy Lapointe or Larry Robinson or Serge Savard. So the writing was on the wall. And, and uh, so I had no opportunity really to go to Montreal. Well, Turk, good story about Montreal. <laughs> it's funny because I played in the World Juniors when they picked an all-star team, which I believe was 77-78. Uh, we're dressing in Montreal's weight room. They cleared everything out, put stalls in there and everything. So we're showering in their showers. We're walking around their dressing room doing whatever we wanted. And one day I went over and I was looking at the, the chart with all the weights and the heights and everything. And I looked at their defense and I just went, holy cow. Like, like you're right. I mean, I, there wasn't a guy under six feet. And I think the lightest guy was Guy Point at 220. Yeah. And I mean, and they were good. I mean, they oh, were really very good. good. They were, yeah. I mean, yeah. just, but yeah. we got to watch them practice every day. It was just down and back, down and back, yeah. down and back. It was like, it was a real treat to watch, to be yeah. quite honest with you. A team that won, what, nine Stanley Cups in, in like in 11 years or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a real treat to watch. Well, I would have had probably so, no, I would have probably had no problem putting on the two hundred and twenty pounds. It was just getting in that six <laughs> foot that, that six foot that might have been the problem. <laughs> well, I, I think you made the right choice. <laughs> now, both of you guys can pick up on this one, Jimmy. Maybe you, uh, like after playing in WHA, you're you you played in there for a good. Uh, you know, you played almost three hundred games. You, how good was the league? And really. How underrated was it? Oh, I think it was uh, really underrated. And the reason I say that, when you look at you look at the Winnipeg uh, Jets, just for instance. Yep. They had, the, they, they, mm -hmm. had the they had the Swedes come over before the uh, the Swedes were really into the NHL. Now, they had Borja Salming and they had uh, Inga Hammerstrom in, in mm -hmm. Toronto. Yeah. But they had Bobby playing with Alf Nielsen and Anders Hedberg. And then they had <laughs> Lars-Erik Schoberg on defense. And 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 uh kent nielsen these guys were really good like they were extremely good hockey players and then you you know we had guys like uh you know the edmonton oilers uh team you know uh they had some you know ron chipperfield brett calligan they had the uh, you know kid named gretzky that played on that team that was pretty good you know messier played in the in the league 
you know, and then Mark and Marty Howe played. And so there was plenty of good hockey players uh, in that league and nobody got credit because obviously none of the owners in the NHL wanted to give it credit because it was a competition. But everybody, like I've talked to people, uh, you know, in the last little while that used to watch it on global, the, the, uh, the Toros, they loved the hockey. It was entertaining and uh, it was wide open hockey. And it, it was, you know what? It was really good. Did we get a bad rap? Yeah, sometimes we did because we deserved it. But Broad Street Bullies did what we did in Birmingham. And so, uh, you know, that was hockey at, th at that time. And uh, uh, it was great. I, I Honestly, I thought the league was pretty good. I don't know about you, Squid, but I, I thought the league was pretty good. Oh, I, I thought it was pretty good, especially when you're uh, an 18-year-old coming in playing against men. I mean, it's obvious. And the Nordiques weren't too shabby either. No kidding. Uh, they had a pretty good hockey team as well. J.C. Uh, Trombley, but, Mark Tardif, yeah. Reggie Houle, you know, Serge yeah. Bernier. I mean, they, you, know, you can look at all the teams. And all the teams, like, you know, Cincinnati, they had Rick New Dudley. England, and, Houston. Uh, yeah. And New England. I mean, you know, there, there were some damn good teams in that league. And, and uh, unfortunately, only four got into the National Hockey League. Uh, it would have been great if there could have been more, uh, yeah. especially Birmingham, because, boy, oh boy, if they had to put up. But we weren't getting in because they knew damn well that they weren't going to let us in with all that young talent. Because exactly. I, yeah. Probably within five years, we would have won a Stanley Cup. That's how good that I don't think was. Any yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That well, think about this, boys. You guys, you guys were the era when Johnny Bassett started bringing the underage players and signing them and changed yep. the whole game of hockey. Yep. So here's a question for both of you, and we'll put our fantasy caps on here thinking about this one. With the abundance of talent around today, and you guys even coming forward into this era, do you think, and with the players getting so much younger on the teams, that a WHA, if it came around today, it could survive? I, you know what? I, honestly, I do. I think there's enough talent around yeah. that, you, that you could house – I don't know if you could house another 20 teams, but I think you could house another 10 or 12, perhaps. Yep. Yeah, I, I do. So. There, there's that much talent around. Like th these kids are good now, like, holy smokes. And you know what? And there's a lot of kids that probably don't get the opportunity to, to play just because of the limited space available now with the number of teams. And, uh, and then, you know, you got your worldwide talent coming in back when, you know, like I said, back when we played, Sweden was the first one. And then we had, you know, uh, Ned come in, Ned Amansky come in and Richard Farda. So a couple of checks and then the Stasty brothers came in. Uh, but now you've got people from all over uh, the world coming to play. So the, the amount of hockey players available now worldwide, it's just not North America anymore with a few countries. Yep. It's, it's worldwide. And so there's plenty of talent out there. Uh, and Mike, to answer your question, I, I definitely think in that they're, uh, um, Another league could, could Me survive. Too. I do. Yeah, I, I think I think twelve teams uh, easily because I mean, you know, first of all, look at the American Hockey League. I mean, that's a damn good league, but there's yeah. a lot of really good players in that league that can't play on the National League teams. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because you, you you mentioned the around the whole world now. Yeah, players are coming from everywhere, Germany, and which was unthinkable back, you know, when we were playing. Yeah. but never mind that. What about players from California, Arizona, Florida? <laughs> I mean, you name all these southern states now, and there's all kinds of I know, you know, great players coming out of those areas. St. Louis, St. Louis is another place that has you know started spitting out a lot of great hockey players. A lot of that has to do with a lot of the Blues 
uh, after they retired, stayed in St. Louis and their kids played and then they started a really good program there. So, yeah, I, I definitely think 12 teams would be, wouldn't be a stretch. And, uh, and I think you would see some really, really good hockey as well. I do too. Well, guys, um, we've got a couple of minutes left, Jimmy. We've got could talk to you all night, but just as a close, we usually get this out of our guests. The WHA was a league affectionately known as a bit of a drinker's league. Now, along the lines, because there was a lot of free time between games. So free time plus booze equals. Oh, come on, Mike. Come on. (laughs) I'm being kind here, guys. It it equals a lot of mischief. So where I'm going with this is meaning if there's mischiefs, there's pranks. You must have seen a few over your time with the travels. Any you'd like to share with us? Well, the the one good one, and I don't know if you were there, Squid or not, or, or, or maybe not. We used to have a guy, and I won't mention his name because it might embarrass him, but we used to go for dinner before games and all this kind of stuff. We'd go to steakhouses, and, and we'd have steaks, and then you'd have, you know, a couple of beers. And, yeah. you know, guys would order, you know, a Caesar salad or, you know, shrimp cocktail. And the bill would come, and we'd say, okay, there's six guys. Let's just say the bill was 600 So everybody throw in 100 bucks, and then throw in another 20 bucks for tip or whatever. Yeah. And the one guy would say... I didn't have the shrimp cocktail. That's seven bucks. So I'm not paying a hundred. I'm only paying 93 bucks. And he would do this all the time. And so after practice, when we were in Birmingham, we used to go to a bar called Shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Matlock, who uh, used to play, I think he played football for the Buffalo Bills. And Gene Trosh, who played for Kansas City when they won their first Super Bowl, used to work there. So we used to go, it was a sports bar. We'd go there and we'd have beers after practice. And we used to play this game, Guess the Number one between one and a hundred. Well, there'd be six or seven guys around the table and you'd pick a number and then the guy say higher and then uh, pick another number lower. And, and whoever got the number right on had to buy the next round. So this guy that, that was a cheap skate guy at dinner used to be with us. Well, everybody else knew the number except him. So we would <laughs> narrow it down. So every time he would guess the number right on, he'd have to buy the next round. And we'd be there for five or six rounds just to make sure that, all right, you didn't pay the seven bucks for the shrimp cocktail. You paid 45 extra bucks for uh, for five extra rounds or whatever it was. So. <laughs> I got to remember that one, Jimmy. We got oh, that was, it's a beauty. That was a beauty. But here, here's one last story. We're playing in Toronto with the Toros. And you, you mentioned John Craig Eaton. And John Craig Eaton invited me to go to Caledon one time to do a hockey banquet. So I go up there. And I meet him at his house and he says, I'll drive you over there. So I get in his car. Now I'm sitting in the back seat. He's driving and uh, with his wife. It's a Rolls Royce. I'd never been in a Rolls Royce, but I've got the, the CEO of Eaton's Canada driving me to a hockey banquet in a Rolls Royce. So I go to the banquet, do the thing, come back. And now I'm driving home. And at the time, uh, I had a Corvette. I, I always promised myself if I ever made pro, I would buy myself a Corvette. So my end of my second year, I bought a Corvette. So I'm driving home and I have to stop for gas in Caledon, Caledon, Ontario. Okay, it's Friday night. It's about 10 o'clock, 1030. And I stop at the gas station and I'm pumping gas with my suit on. And this guy is, is doing his gas tank and he says, uh, what team do you play for? I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you wouldn't be dressed like that and driving a car like that if you didn't play for somebody. I said, not necessarily so he goes come on who do you who do you play for i go toronto Toros. he goes jim turkwitz i knew that was you one of these he says he says come on to the legion have a beer with me he says my name's jerry ford just like the president i go 
Jerry, I can't. It's 1030 on a Friday and I'm going back to the city. I can't. He jumps in my car, opens up my passenger side door, jumps in the passenger side and locks the door and says, I'm not going unless you come to the Legion and have a beer with me. I go, Jerry, come on. You've got to be kidding me. He goes, I'm not leaving. So we didn't have cell phones at that time or anything like that. So I get in the car. I'm driving to the Legion on a Friday night with this guy. So we get to the Legion. Now it's like, you know, quarter to 11, get out of the car. We're walking in and the place is packed, right? It's a Friday night. We walk in there and I, I'm thinking I'm just going to have a beer with this guy. Well, he yells out, hey, everybody, Jim Kirkwood's from the Toronto Toros now. I'm shrinking down. Like, I'm so embarrassed. It's not even funny. And this guy thinks it's, it's the best thing ever. So he sits down. I'm sitting down. Now his whole family's there. His wife's there, his son, his daughter, and a couple other people are there. And so he says, come on, Turk, we're going to play some darts. Holy smokes. I'm thinking I'm going for one beer and getting out of there. I'm playing darts with this guy. Now it's like 1130, quarter to 12, and I'm going, how the heck am I going to get out of this place? So finally, it's about 1230. I said, Jerry, he says, Turk, you're not going anywhere. You're spending the night at my place. You can't drive now or anything like that. I said, Jerry, I've had two beers. I'm out of here. He goes, Turk, you're staying at my place. I said, okay, Jerry, let me just go to the bathroom and I'll be right back. Okay. The only way I could get out of there, I had to go through the bathroom and get the heck out of the Legion on a Friday night in Caledon, Ontario. So there, there's a cocktail story for you, Mike. There's hot. Hey, that's hockey in Canada. That doesn't surprise me. It is a fact. It's not surprising. Well, before we leave you, sir, I, 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 I want to know if you remember this. You probably do, uh, because I don't. Um, we're playing Hartford. And I Brofe used to use me because I used to play center. He used to use me on the right side in our end to take draws. So we're up a goal against Hartford. It's the end of the game. They pull their goalie. I win the draw. We shoot it down the ice. I'm the first person to the puck. I go around the net. And as I'm coming around the net, I turn around to put it in the empty net. And the next thing I know, I'm crawling to the bench. Gordy Howe came back. And I didn't know until the next day we looked at the film and Gordy was skating back. And just as he got to me, the elbow came up, caught me right in the back of the head. I flipped up and Brof is screaming at me to get to the bench. Meanwhile, I'm getting up, falling down, getting up, falling down. Next thing I know, I'm crawling on my hands and knees to get to the bench and Brof is screaming. Now, fortunately, they didn't go down and score. But I, 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 think, that, I think that clip went around a, a, a whole bunch of times in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, uh, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us today, Jimmy. It was uh, great having you. Some great stories, great recounting what uh, happened back in the old days. Uh, you're looking good. Hope hey. to keep going. The, the five kids, uh, grandkids, keep you yeah. going uh, good and healthy. Hey, it was That's great, good. Mike. Thanks very much for the invite. Ricky, uh, as always, a pleasure to see you and chat with you. And uh Hey, Sir, pleasure. This was the best. Hey, sorry it took you. long to get here. I know Ricky's been bugging me, and every time he says, can you do it this? Ricky, I'm, I'm going to the stage. I'm going here. So finally, he says, <laughs> and then I actually, I'd forgotten it was uh, Thanksgiving Day today, and I said, yeah, Monday's no problem. But we had oh, our dinner. We had our dinner right. Saturday, anyway, so it was, it was perfect. So hey, no, remember, this was great. Got Jerry Ford working to kidnap you, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe great. I'll make it down to Florida this winter and play some golf with you, sir. You, you got a hold of me, Mike, too. If you're ever down in Florida, you got Where, my number. Where's your place? In Marco Island. Marco Island, okay, Florida. No, I'm down in by Sarasota. Naples. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So if you're, you're down around that way, I, I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm going down there actually in a couple of weeks for six weeks and I'm home for Christmas. And then my wife and I are going down after uh, for four or five months. So uh, if you're down there, look me up, play a game of golf. We'll have a, have a beer or two. We'll take you up on that. Awesome. Okay, thanks. Thank Absolutely. Okay. Take care.